uh, is from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And I would encourage you to hang on to this chapter because we're going to be talking almost all the way through the chapter. So once you pull this one open, leave it open as we're going to walk through it. So we have Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. So all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And these two verses pay close attention to. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that today your message is clearly heard. I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth are not mine, but yours. Let your presence be so thick in here that we can't help but know that you are here and that you are real and that you have called us to do great things. Saints, we pray in your name. Amen. Several years ago, I had a very spiritually moving experience in my life, and one that I will never, ever forget. It was one that I could not ever deny. It's not one that I would ever like to put away. I'll go back and I revisit this moment very, very often uh, in my life. Uh, I served in Tupelo First Methodist for about seven years prior to what I am doing now as a church planner. I've been doing this as a church planner for about a year. And uh, before feeling that calling to get into church planning, uh, I was at first Tupelo and, and, and doing youth ministry. And I'd been in youth ministry about 20 years. And the moving experience happened when they built Buffalo Wild Wings in Tupelo, Mississippi. Ladies and gentlemen, it was powerful. I'm just telling you, when that thing went up, I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. I know you are real. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal thing uh, to have happen. I looked at my wife and I was like, look. I love you, but I want you to know that the majority of our paychecks were probably going to Buffalo Wild Wings, to which she said, I don't think so. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. It was, it's a phenomenal, I love, love, love Buffalo Wild Wings. And so for my family, we do what's known as Family Fridays. Family Fridays, if you've never experienced Family Fridays, they're a phenomenal thing. We do pizza. We take pizza and just gorge as much as we can get our hands on. And then we watch Netflix or Redbox or something like that. And we've been doing this for years, just pile up on Friday night and watch anything we can do. Well, on this particular Friday night, the opening of Buffalo Wild Wings, we decided we're foregoing the pizza, we're going to Buffalo Wild Wings. And it was a phenomenal experience. But we're also not dumb. We have uh, walked into Buffalo Wild Wings early, all right? So we know that when restaurants open, you never just, you know, come in at the 7 o'clock hour. We got there at like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And we're like, look, we're going to jump in here. We're getting in. So we got in, and the very first thing they do, we, they, it was a great job of getting us in quickly, and then we sat down. And as a very good youth minister, and, and, and sometimes Andy Stoddard should do, we had to take a family selfie, right? You have to do this. Like, you can't just not do it. So we sat down, and we pulled the phone out, and went, click, click, and I posted it. If you're familiar with social media, you know the drill. Uh, you can click uh, go, and it sends not just to Instagram, it sends it to Facebook and Twitter too. All right, one click, yeah. Within seconds, and I am not exaggerating, within seconds, five of my teenagers materialized at my table. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> Poof, and there they were. And they were in Buffalo Wild Wings, and they were, they were on social media, as a lot of teenagers are, 
And they saw it and they went, I know where he's seated. And got up and came over to our table, I mean, within seconds. And I've looked back at that moment several times in my life and gone, is that what community is? Where we have this online presence and people know who you are, so they just come and say, hey. I have a a mug that I carry around with me. If you go out to my car right now, you'd see it. I'm not going to tell you what team is on the mug because I would probably alienate the vast majority of you. Uh, It's a 64-ounce jug that I carry around to remind myself to drink water. Uh, Several years ago, I went and lost 65 pounds. I was like, man, I got to get rid of this stuff. I felt just awful. So I worked at it very hard, and to remind myself to drink water, I carry this jug around. So when I would go around to Tupelo, people knew me by the jug. They would let me fill my water jug up just about wherever I went in. They would call me by name. I would come in and they'd be like, hey, Corey, come on in. (laughs) There's the water right there. (laughs) And I would take my jug. I could walk into Connie's, which is one of the best chicken places of all time if you ever get a chance to go. And Connie's would let me fill up my jug. I'd go to uh, Atlanta Bread. Atlanta Bread would call me by name and walk me over there and say, there you go. There's the water thing. And they would let me do it for free. Nobody ever charged me to do this because it was water. Subway, Cafe uh, Cafe 212. I'm telling you, I could, the list could go on and on. And I began to wonder, is this what community is like? Is that what it is, to be known by your name everywhere you go? I had one pastor friend who looked at me and he said, are you going to be okay when you move by losing your celebrity status? <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a hard, it, it's one of those things, is that community? When I felt the call to do church planning, I began to say, okay, how is it that I need to build Christian community? What are those foundations that say this is Christian community? And I began to look around and began to look at Scripture and say, what are those things that say Christian community? And of course, you know, we always come across Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, right? We know this, there I am with them. Except when you look at that passage, that's a passage about the community dealing with sin. That is not how to build community. And I went, whoops, I need to start somewhere else. And so I began searching God's word over and over again until I came across Acts chapter 4. And I went, yes, now we have it. Acts chapter 4 carries for me an, an entire picture in one chapter of how Christian community comes together and what it looks like. And so what I'm going to do very quickly, and I know you're going to be like, man, the whole chapter? Man, Andy, don't ever ask this guy back. I know it's going to, we're not going to talk very long, but I want you to see that in Acts chapter 4, we're going to walk through. There are five founding characteristics to any Christian community that everything needs to be grounded upon. So we're going to start, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 7 of chapter 4. Now, to know, verse, to know chapter 4, you have to know chapter 3. So in chapter 3, uh, as Peter and as John were walking into uh, the temple gates, they had a beggar, the beggar who had been there for 40 years. And he looked, at, uh, he looked up at Peter and John and said, look, I-, I need some change. Can you give me alms? And they said, alms I can't give you, but what I, t- what I can give you is this, and that's Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. You are healed. And the guy who had been there for 40 years gets up and starts hopping around and dancing and screaming and yelling, starts drawing a commotion. And of course, the society and the leaders of the society did what every good Christian society, I say Christian at that point, you know, still a little early, but every good religious society should do when something joyful happens, they arrest them. Yes, congratulations, religious leaders. You just arrested somebody for healing. Congratulations. 
And so when we get to chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, the religious lawyers, are now asking Peter and John to come back in front of them to explain to them what happened. And that's where verse 7 picks up. It says, They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if, you are being, uh, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, for them, this is the first characteristic. They were centered on the gospel together. Everything they did, they were centered around who Jesus was, and their answer for all things was right there. It was Jesus Christ. But it's this next verse that I want you to catch. This next verse, just this one verse right here, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So my question to you is this. Do people look at you the same way? Do they see you when you're out in public and outside the church walls, not knowing if you go to church or not, and see by your actions in your life, and they go, Man, that person has got to know something different than I do. That person must know Jesus. Do people look at you and say the same thing? What I love about this verse is they, we always kind of look at this and go, oh, these guys were just dumb guys. They're not really smart at all. Well, that's not it. See, for these guys, I know it says unschooled ordinary men. But see, in the religious society there, they would go to what we know is about eighth grade. And then they had to make a decision. Are they going to continue to be a rabbi or are they going to go back to the trade that their fathers had? And if you recognize and you remember back, Jesus called them off a fishing boat. And they had all gone back. These were unschooled in the religious sense, but apparently something with Jesus caught on. And they said, man, this one knows who Jesus is. And that's strong. Do we live lives that look like that, that are centered around the gospel together? But it doesn't stop there. When you're centered around the gospel together, you can't help but do the second characteristic. And that's reach out together. Let's continue reading. In verse 18, let's pick it up there. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let him go because they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. You see, they're centered on the gospel together. And when you have had a, a moment where you know the story of Jesus Christ, then you reach out and you begin to tell others about it. And what I love, this is what in modern times we would know as getting burned, okay? Because Peter and John are standing at the judges and asking them, you be the judges, what are you going to do? And they have to make a decision. Are these people really with God or are they not? That's what they were supposed to be judging. And they looked at him and said, you've got to decide this. We're with God. So we're going to say whatever we want. Forget what you say as a judge. We're going with God in this. And you should know to do the same. And I love that, that they were so bold to step out there. 
I'm a believer that we should only know, I say only, I think the first two stories in life that we should know are pretty clear. I think the gospel story is absolute number one. And Peter and John were centered on the gospel story. But I think the second story we need to know is ours. How is it that Jesus has changed your life? What has Jesus done with you? Because suddenly, when you can talk like this, when you can talk about what Jesus has done with you, you become the expert on the gospel, right? So like for me, I will tell you that I was a typical selfish teenager. It is, it is as it is. I know I don't look like it right now, but I was a selfish teenager. It was then. But it's one of those things where you go, okay, when I looked around and I saw people, I would look out at people around me and go, how can I get you to get me where I want to be? How can I get you to serve me? That was my mentality for a very long time. And then Jesus got a hold of me. And he flipped my world upside down, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I began to realize the people who are out around me, it's not about how to get you guys to serve me. It's how can I serve you? That's what Jesus did to me. It's flipped me upside down. But not everybody has a testimony like that. Some people have what I love to call the drugs to hugs testimony, where they have been down and out on drugs. But man, I've been on drugs. It's been so hard. Man, I love you. Come here. And they want to just hug you all the time. I've met these people. We have one in our church who is literally down and out on drugs, was literally within an inch of losing his life. And he has just now realized that after all of the stuff that he's gone through and after God has truly worked on him, that he should no longer be ashamed of his story, but embrace it and tell people about it. His story is important and so is yours. Because when you are centered on the gospel and Jesus has changed you, you can't help but reach out and tell others about it. And then this third characteristic, when you're reaching out and you're telling others about it, what happens is we come together and we celebrate. That's called we worship together. Go back to the scripture here. We're going to start in verse 23. Listen to what happens when they finally get away from the Sanhedrin. It says, on their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Did you catch that their first thing was prayer? That was prayer. Listen to what happens after this. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and our father, David. Who do the nations rage, or why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain, and the kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one? Now you have scripture being read. And listen to how they begin to interpret that scripture. It says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Do you hear what's going on? Peter and John makes their way back to the community. And when they get back into the community, they begin to realize, hey, we need to celebrate what's going on. So they meet together in prayer. They meet together with scripture. They meet together in interpreting scripture. I'm not sure if you follow the bulletin, but that's exactly what we do in worship now, right? That's it is they come together to celebrate what is going on. And what I love, and listen, this is so unique. Listen to what happens. They don't pray for protection. Listen to what they pray for. It says, they did, by, uh, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great 
boldness. They didn't ask to be protected from all the stuff they were going against because they realized and they knew that when they say yes to Jesus Christ, that their path is the same as Jesus and that they're more than likely either going to end up dead or persecuted in some way. I had a professor who looked at us one time in class, and this caught my attention very well. He said, if you're going to be a true, honest-to-goodness Christian, you'd better look good on wood. It made me sit back and go, whoa, that's true. Because if we are truly going to follow in Christ, we could very well be killed for our faith. We could very well be strongly persecuted at best for our faith. That's incredible. But they didn't ask for protection. They asked for boldness to make it through those times. And then what happens as a result is powerful. When you're centered on the gospel together, and then you are reaching out together, and you're spending time in worship listening to awesome choirs together, the next thing that happened was they began to share life together. Listen to what happens again. Verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, I don't know if you've been a part of a church for any length of time. Uh, I have grown up in church. was not always the most active, but I have grown up in church. And you should know, if you've been a part of a church for any length of time, how hard it is to get an entire congregation in one heart and mind. <laughs> Go ahead and try to change the color of this carpet. I dare you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's hard, right? But you know what brought them together here was the grace of Jesus Christ. It says no one claimed that their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And I love this passage to show you that Christian community does not have to do with social status. And it does not have to do with finances. Because listen to these next two sentences. It says, for, some, uh, for from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. That means there were some rich people there. That means there were not some so rich people there. That means you had some who were in great economic, uh, not just but uh, economic, but social standing. And then you had those who weren't, maybe, not that I'm, <laughs> I just realized that I'm turning. There were some who were not in such great social standing. Uh, <laughs> My bad, choir. I love you. Okay. But the idea is there were all sorts of people who were a part of the choir. Part of the choir. Now look at what I'm doing. I'm all <laughs> flustered. <laughs> but there were all sorts of people who were part of the community. All sorts. And I love that it was the grace of Jesus Christ that united them all together. Every last one of them. But remember, they can be centered on the gospel. They can reach out together. They can worship together. They can live lives and share lives together. But the last one, this fifth element, is probably my favorite. They send out together. The community realized, and if you read back, I'm going to read verses 36 and 37 in just a moment. But the community realized it's not about staying together and going, oh, it's all about us. Great, we got our stuff, we've got our things, we've got everything established. Let's be us. It was about sending out. And in verse 36, they said, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Anybody recognize the name of Barnabas? Barnabas was the one, if you don't recognize it, 
was the one who introduced Saul slash Paul to the community when he made the transformation. Barnabas was the one that was being sent out with Paul on the first missionary journeys. Are you with me? Luke is telling us very clearly, get ready because we're about to now start spreading out. And that's where I get to find myself. As a church planter, that's where I am. I get to learn how to send out. We're not meant to live our faith alone. We're not meant to do this whole ball game by ourselves individually. It's not how it's intended. Look back in Genesis. Adam didn't just have Adam. It was Adam and Eve. God said, you need a companion. When Jesus was walking around, he had the disciples. When Paul was walking around and doing the missionary journeys, I love to call, he had a posse. Joker had a group. Everywhere he went, he took people with him on purpose because we were not meant to live our faith alone. We're meant to live it as a community. And where I'm at in Lewisburg, Mississippi, there's no place to call community. We're doing something very unique. We're building a church around what's known as a third space ministry. If first space is your home and second space is your work, third space is where is it that you get together with people? Lewisburg doesn't have that. It's got three corner gas stations, and that's it. There's nothing else. And when we started driving through the land for the first time, and I felt that call, and I was like, man, I'm wrestling with this. I really feel God leading me to do this. And we drove through Lewisburg. I went, oh, yeah. And you're going to laugh, but the vision for this literally came in the shower. Is that not where the best ideas come from? I was praying, God, you've got to give me more than this. There's got to be more. And literally at that moment, this vision comes flooding in for a coffee shop cafe. I went, yes, that is what Lewisburg is missing. For us to have a place to have community, to reach out to people who would not normally walk into a beautiful sanctuary in a structured traditional location, but to walk into something that's very backwards and very much builds community. And that's where we are. Right now, we have worked very hard to get into the school system. We've worked very hard to get not only into Lewisburg schools, but into the Olive Branch schools. To be able to say, hey, we are here. To be able to say, hey, we are going to be a presence in this community. To be able to say, hey, look, we're not here to have you serve us. We're here to serve you. We've been able to, you're going to love this. You're going to think, you're going to think I'm playing with you. Lewisburg High School, the principal looked at me and he said, you know, I said, what do you need? Like, what can I give you that would be immediate change? And he said, how about a coffee pot? I'm not kidding. I was like, well, you know, we're doing coffee ministry. I think I can get you a coffee pot, you know? I'm a TK. I'm not a PK. I'm, I'm a TK. I'm a teacher's kid. I've been one for all my life. I watched my mom go through her master's degree. Do you know what helped her get through her master's degree? Coffee. Man, it was coffee. Every morning she'd wake up. She had to get her coffee. She became like a normal human being when she got her coffee. I'm like, how is it that as teachers you don't have a place for coffee? He said, the district won't let us buy it with district funds. I said, well, guess what? I can, I will, and we did. And then it started about every six weeks, we went back and started putting more coffee back in there for free. And they were like, hey, coffee guy. (laughs) I come walking in and they recognize me immediately. We're beginning to make waves in where we are. We want to be so knee deep in our community that if for God forbid we ever shut our doors, that community cannot help but look and go, what are you doing? We've got to have you back. You have served us so well. We know Jesus because of you. Come back. And that's the question I'm going to leave you today is this. Would your community so knee deep, are you so knee deep in the community, would your community look at you and say, come back if God forbid St. Matthew should ever shut down?
Are you that strong in the community? Reaching out, telling people who Jesus is, bringing them in as part of the family. Will you join me? Will you join me? And in a lot of ways, what we're asking for when you say, would you join me, is prayer. Just to remember us in prayer every single day. And then I get to do what's known as hashtag selfish plug. Uh, we're going to do a, uh, we need money too. If you're willing to help give financially, either as individuals or as a church, we have churches who partner with us. We have individuals who partner with us. Please help us out. Because we are starting literally with very little. With very little. But God is making it happen. And then if you could also do this as well, become a church that sends out. Look inward and say, how can we now send out and create new things as well? So that's my question to you. Will you join me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Amen.